The storm is powerful enough. Yes. All is ready, Fritz. Fritz, bring us the brain. Yes, master. I will bring the brain. Yes, Fritz, bring the Gary Fortenberry brain. The Gary Fortenberry brain. Yes, master. We are going to create the greatest ASL player in the world. All is ready, Fritz. Throw the switch! Yes, master! It's moving. It's moving. It's, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's ready to speak. Fritz, move back. It's going to speak. Yes, master. No, Fritz, no. We haven't created the greatest ASL player in the world. You've created a blithering idiot. Instead of the brain of Gary Fortenberry, you've brought me the brain of David Kleinschmidt. No! 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 Hello, Jeffrey, and welcome. Welcome once again to the Two Half a Squads. The Two Half a Squads. The only podcast on the net. Dedicated about 100% to the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. Why do all my voices end up sounding like Lawrence Welk? If I go more than a couple of sentences, he wasn't Italian. Was because of Lawrence Welk. <laughs> He'd be a man of a many, many nationalities. Ah, uh, yes, he's a melting pot. He's a, he's a, a potpourri. He's a popey. Do you know how I tell my students to remember Mussolini was in charge of Italy? No, how? Spaghetti, macaroni, Mussolini. You tell them that, huh? Yeah, it works. I think that's profiling, isn't it? It's like, uh, <laughs> It's kind of like profiling. Inner profiling. Well, here's it, Jeff and I, and we're um, trying to contact Jim Stoller. Yeah, we've got a, an interview lined up, but um, we can't get a hold of him. So because we forgot to get his, well, he forgot to yeah. send his phone number. Yeah, details, details. And so the time is passing, and we know that Jim is Italian, so we thought we'd play this music yes. and pretend to be him, Jim Stallarini, <laughs> a great Italian ASL player. He loves those Italiano scenarios. Like a roads to Rome. Is this I think this song's almost over, thankfully. Oh, oh. Thank, oh thankfully. So we're I'm trying to chat with J.R. Tracy and Nelson Asada and various other people, begging them if they have Jim's phone number. So we don't know if we'll have any. 
phone no, uh, inter- interview with Jim yet later this show or but not? You know, you know what they say, Dave. What do it, they say, Jeff? The show needs to continue. It must go on. Oh, that's catchy. I like that. So it must. So we will go on. But we don't have anything planned. <laughs> no, you know. So now we're just going to sit here. Je- uh, Jeff is kidding. In. As oh, usual, yeah. we have a Rhodes to Rome over here. We have a book Jeff has read over there. Mm-hmm. To be tech- uh, I have a book in my car, Jeff, that I just finished reading. Oh, you have a car. Fall of Berlin. Uh, we have some... Funny things to read on the air over here in my folder. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. We have. Um, we um, can discuss the ASL Open, which we were just at. Then. We could do a box art review. Oh, yeah. Or we could always open with letters. Room. Well, now, uh, there's an idea. You know what? The problem with letters is I don't. Uh, I can't find the music. Oh, you I, little fibber. I can't seem to find the music anywhere. There it is. It just comes out uh, magically. All you have to do is say letters, and there it hey. goes. Hey! I'm going to play this. I've learned to play this. Listen. It's actually the hardest part of the whole piece. <laughs> it's like a counterpoint. There you go. Well done, Jeffrey. Yeah, I, I'm good. I've been practicing for quite a while. How was that fade out? That was nice. Well, <laughs> and so, I don't see a reply yet from anyone on uh, Jim's phone number, so... yeah. Golly, I hate to have him think of him sitting there waiting for us. He's waiting for us to call, and we don't have his number. Maybe we just call out into the ether and see what happens. Jim! Wait a minute. You know what? Jim, Jim. you can get a hold of Chad. Jim! What are you, lad? No. No, it's okay. Let's go on. Let's uh, read some letters. All right. I don't think we said um, what episode this is. What episode is this, Dave? We don't know anymore because, because you <laughs> we just disorganized. We just did one at the open. That you should oh, have already heard, because I'll right. post that. We yeah. haven't got it done yet. That'll be 67. So this would be 68, 68. on okay. April 24th, 2012. All right, so I, I misnumbered this one as we're recording, so you'll have to pay attention to that as you're editing. I'll fix it. Okay. And um, let's let's read those letters. All right, well, I have one that is the bids. Remember, everybody, we have a um, box of... Squad Leader original game. Maybe missing a few counters, but I may mm-hmm. be able to find them and get them to you. Uh, we have a, was it Cross of Iron, I think? Cross of Skinny Iron, one. yes. Available and... For King and Country. For King and Country. And this is part of our the first auction that we're doing. Instead of doing it on eBay and sharing the money with eBay, we're doing it right here on the two half squads. So if you have a, a bid for these products, um, let us know, and we'll keep you up to date on Twitter with what the... Latest prices are, and what are the latest? Bids? Latest prices: twenty dollars for Cross of Iron. Mm-hmm. It was Cross of Iron. Twenty dollars for King Country. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, twenty dollars for the Squad Leader. Yeah, and eighty dollars for the King Country. King Let's say we're not parting with that puppy for twenty bucks. Yeah, so we'd like to get new, those prices up to like eBay prices, which are about forty dollars for Squad Leader. And I haven't checked King and Country lately, but um, so. 
fans, we know you always want to donate money, but you like to get something for that money. So it's yeah, really not like donating. Then you're just buying the stuff from us instead of buying it on eBay. Right. So that's a great thing. And before we do letters, Jeff, what's this I brought from my house that it came today? Oh, I don't know. Oh, somebody sent that to you. Is that what that it's is? It's to us. Okay. Should we do that for what's in the box? Or is no. This, is this a letter? This is a letter. It's a, a heavy package letter. letter. That's a heavy letter. Uh, I'll have to cut into this. He'll get a little scissors, and while he is, I don't see... I have a scimitar right here. Nelson getting us a phone number yet for Jim or Jim's reply. But let's just get on with it then, Dave. Then I have a letter... From Dennis Donovan. Hey, guys. Okay. Thanks for the update. I wondered what happened to the contest. So this was the one about put a caption on, um, um, dang. On Scott Holt's picture. Thanks, Scott Holt's (laughs) picture. Yeah, we dropped that one. One of our better contest ideas. And he says he stumbled across uh, a Blood Reef Tarawa being sold on eBay, and it's um, a fundraiser. For Daglish. Oh, I, you know. And so wow. it may be over by now. Probably is, yeah. But uh, folks, maybe if, if you're watching for those, you may see more of those. Um, we'd encourage you to to do that. Yeah. And maybe uh, we'll send something along. It's for a good cause. For a very good cause. Yeah. And so we thought we'd just mention that. At least if we missed it, then you'll know if next time you'll see something to go ahead and be generous in making a bid. Yeah. Very much more important than our makes our bidding milk silly yeah. to pay for our bandwidth and whatever. Yeah. So, um, no, and I would like to have that um, Tarawa. That's one that well, I would buy. That's one that I would buy. I should. We can, start, we can check after this, and I would love to put have a bid that. in. Maybe. Yeah, I'd love to have it. Uh, what's next? What's in the box you opened? In the package. Oh, all right. So this is like a shoebox and uh, sent by U.S. Mail. They did a great job. Is that from Matt? From uh, Los Angeles, California. Yeah, from Matt. And what is in there? It's books. Three books. Nice book. A hardback book. The um, Battle for Antwerp by L.L. Moulton. Oh, thank you, Matt. Very nice. This is uh, this is an older book. Um, you know, just an old binding. Nice, nice old copy. Excellent. Hard, hardback. We could do a book review we on that a, one. A copy here of Strong Men Armed: United States Marines versus Japan by Robert Leckie. Uh, nice, big, thick. Wow, paperback. Full of action. That looks like that's full of goodies. Oops. And wow, yes, indeed. A book entitled Bloody Buna, the campaign that halted the Japanese invasion of Australia by Lita Mayo. Uh, hardback, old, older book, and oh, nice, some nice uh, photos in here, black and white photos in the center, and some maps. That looks good. I was just reading about that recently. Excellent. And these are some campaigns yeah, nice. that I've definitely... I just started D-Day by, um, I think, Beaver is his name. I, he did the Fall of Berlin one I loved so much. Mm. And my friend had it. And, uh, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, D-Day, read about, know a bit about that, but don't know anything about Antwerp or Buna. So 
Excellent. Going to increase our knowledge there. Thank yeah. you, Matthew, for your most generous donation. Yeah, that's very nice. And when we're finished with them, we will typically pass them on to David Goldman, and yes. he can use them as um, prizes at the ASL Open. Yeah, which we did this last week. I uh, got a letter here from Mike. Mike, who left a comment on episode 66. I voted this episode as funny and interesting, balancing out the two dulls you got from some wackadoodle wonder who has entirely too much time on his hands. I would have voted it as informative as well, but I've been drooling over my Festung Budapest for quite some time now. Thanks for the uh, comment, Mike. Appreciate it. And in fact, I have an an email from Matthew who just sent us this wonderful box. He also uh, put it in an email that he liked episode 29, and it had two box art reviews in it, and he loved that. (laughs) Excellent banter. He thinks we hit our peak with number 29, though. Yeah, I think so, too. I would agree. He he recommends Robin co-host an episode. We did talk about the wives, but that's fallen to the wayside. I'm not sure. We're... We we've got so many other things to do, Dave. It's like just, Jim Stoller and Nelson still chatting with me, trying to find his his number. Oh, nice. Um, and he said he attended a conference in Baltimore and snuck down to MMP to play some ASL and got smoked by Chaz playing SL11 defense on Hill 30. Now that's cool. So how do you do that? You go, you I, just go knock on their door and they drop what their Chaz drops what he's doing and I, play squad I leader. I guess with you? so. Conference that's in awesome. Baltimore. That's cool. Yeah. It's an international community. I got to try of, that. Of players. Yeah. And we have this one about the Texas team tournament. It's a reminder Ooh. that Thursday of the Texas team tournament will feature a mini tourney playing of the three player scenario. At the Narrow Passage, out of Festung Budapest. Ah, fun. I Did we realize there was a three-player scenario in that uh, one? I didn't realize it at the time, but somebody mentioned it at the ASL Open over the weekend. That's the third one. There's one in uh, Into the Rubble, or no, there's one in one of the LFT scenarios or games, and then that uses Into the Rubble board, and there was the previous one that we had played together. And both Bill Cirillo and Sean Deller have been in contact with them and been kind enough to offer support for questions concerning the scenario. Bill's also provided a couple of official MMP player aids that support this scenario. Cool. Bill Cirillo was the primary designer of Festung Budapest, and then MMP still has it under development, which Bill's kindly offered to use. And I think he's agreed to uh, talk with us about Festung Budapest. Is that right? He has agreed. He must not know us well. Well, (laughs) He doesn't he's know never what, listened to the show. He doesn't know what he's in for. Ruin his reputation right quick. And so that's from Rick in Texas. Yeah, though that sounds like fun. And while we're on Festung. They keep, they keep taunting us to get down to Texas with all these good things they've got going on. It sounds like a blast. But I don't think it'll happen this year. Correct. And while we're on Festung, Jeffrey, I yeah. would like to revisit. We short-shrifted the box art because it was a box photograph. Yes, we didn't really talk about but it. But without doing an official box art review, I would like to add that, you know, I really have had the game sitting out on the table and look just looking at it, it looks cool. It's the gray with the black um photo on it. It's the it's just I just keep looking at it like it's a big like piece of granite and it weighs a lot like a big chunk of granite and it's cool looking and i just like gray i think and even the logos the little national symbols you have going across it's a touch of red on the russian one on the right kind of liking it for a non-painting the design sense i think is simple 
elegant and very solidly designed. Well, how about that? I never, I never knew that. And so, that ends box photo review. A brand new segment here on the Two Half Squads. Box photograph review. You didn't know I could play the uh, piano like this, did you? I didn't. You are fantastic, Jeff. Sorry it took me so long to find the music. Do you know any national anthems? <laughs> I probably... I think I do. And back to letters. Uh, I think I have one here. Hold on. I'm uh, pulling up my letters back. Oh, I found this interesting article where the uh, this article about the British hoping to dig up 12 new Spitfire airplanes that were lost in Burma 65 years ago. We'll, put a, we'll put a link to the article. And um, apparently these Spitfires were shipped over there. You know, they made 20,000 Spitfires. And as usually happens when uh, things wind down in a war or for various reasons, uh, equipment and material gets left, lost, stored in a warehouse somewhere. And apparently there were 12 of these were, were crated up and buried. Not sure exactly why, but they're trying to, uh, the oh, British are trying to go in and with the approval of the Burmese government, which oh. I guess is taking some, some time, go in and find these and unpack them because there aren't that many out of the 20,000 flying Spitfires, I think the article says only 35 remain in flying condition. So to find another 12 would be pretty remarkable and brand new, you know, never been, never been driven, zero mileage. Pretty remarkable. Wow. Okay. I thought at first like they crashed in the jungle and they no. were going to try and rebuild nope. them. Nope. These are brand new in the box. In the box. Never been opened. Hey, that'd be a great what's in the box. A Spitfire. <laughs> and finally, we have a letter from... Oh, we have two donations. We've had two no- donations this week, which is always a thrill. Oh, and here comes my wife, Robbie. Robbie. Hey, Robbie. Hello. How are, How are you, you, dear? I'm excellent. Good. I'm coming to say goodnight. Good night. Okay. You guys are up late. Well, we're almost done. You must have a popular podcast. We do. Well, we like to think so. It's 8.50. Yeah, it's late. <laughs> Boy, does anybody know what hobbies you guys are? <laughs> yeah, they do. They've seen our pictures. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, we have groupies. Do you really? Yeah, old, a bunch of old guys. Right yeah, sad to say. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay. Well, good night then. Sleep all right, good night. Good night. Uh, we got uh, we got two donations this week. We got uh, one. F- well, I won't say who they are, but in the comments, somebody put uh, on one of them, "Keep up the dull work." I like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, somebody else threw some money at us and says, "Ensure that box art review segment continues." That's the purpose for his donation. That's the purpose for his donation. Yes, yes. Now it's been a long time, Jeffrey. You you stopped it the last time. I realized that you were trying to intentionally <laughs> stop it later when I listened to the show. Yeah. Yes, I was. I was. I will admit that. But um, I thought of quitting the whole podcast over that. Incident. You know, everybody's got their favorite segments on the show. That box art review is not my favorite segment. <laughs> Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. I'm kidding. So that's it for letters. All right. And then we just got a phone number from Jim. Yes. So we're going to call Jim Stoller. And the next thing you hear hear will be the the voice of Mr. Jim Stoller. Jim Stoller? Yes. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, doing fine. 
Yeah, you just got my email? Yes, we did, sir. Yeah, thank you. This is uh, Jeff and Dave. Ah, Jeff and Dave. Okay, yeah, when uh, you know we set up the time, I just somehow assumed that you had my phone number. And uh, I guess you forgot to mention because it. so many people do. <laughs> and we were sitting here, and actually we recorded the show already starting, saying, well, we're hoping to, that we can get a phone number because we're hoping to talk to Jim and we're excited <laughs> and we feel really bad if we didn't call you. <laughs> and left you hanging there. So, thank you so much for talking to us. That's my pleasure. And um, I guess we'll start with, do, um, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about your gaming background? For people like me, you're a very famous person. For oh, people no. like Jeff, he doesn't go back as far in the hobby as I do. Okay, well, my... Uh... I guess Wargaming Experience started in 1961. Life magazine had a uh, centennial for the Civil War. And the last issue of the centennial was a uh, game, which eventually became Parker Brothers 1863. It was a very simple game, but it was really exciting for someone who was, I guess, about 12, 13 at the time. That led to uh, my meeting people who played Avalon Hill games. And the first Avalon Hill game I played was uh, the tournament version of Gettysburg. And then um, met a couple other people, and we played uh, Avalon Hill through uh, through my junior high school and high school years. And some of our favorite games were D-Day and Stalingrad and Waterloo, uh, Africa Corps, you know, Way back, and uh, let's see, we played Blitzkrieg and Avalon Hill games of the, I guess, the 60s. And then when I went to college at MIT, I joined the MIT Strategic Game Society. And uh, we would play war games every Saturday and then go out for a Chinese dinner. And uh, that was great fun. What's that? That's that's living. That sounds great to me. Yeah. I mean, my college didn't have that, although I did start playing D&D, I guess, with some friends, but, you know, in yep. college. But. Yeah. I guess the next thing, when I was finished uh, with college, uh, right then, I guess Don Greenwood had just started working for Avalon Hill, and he created something called Interest Group Baltimore. And since I live, lived at the time in Silver Spring, about an hour away from Avalon Hill's uh, offices in Baltimore, uh, I was invited to join that group, and uh, Saturdays people would go up and play Avalon Hill games, and it was mostly intended for playtesting new stuff. Okay. And that's where I met Richard Hamblin, and I know I playtested Arab-Israeli Wars and Magic Realm and Gunslinger and a few others. 1977, I playtested this Really, really unbelievably complex game, Squad Leader. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you that, that that even the first scenario was so complicated, I couldn't imagine it would ever catch on. So, so I play tested that, and that's that, what got in hello? those early days. And there's in those early days, were you? Did you have any inkling that games would play such a big part in your life? I mean, did you think you would like to create games or? Um, you know, like even back in high school, I talked to guys, and they they had talked about 
creating their own games in those days or, you know, thinking about going into it as a, as a profession. Did you have those sort of thoughts back then when you were playing all that with those, all those people? Yeah, well, as Richard Hamblin once said, the <laughs> problem with being a game designer is that everyone who's ever played a game is uh, interested in your job. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember at MIT we would have uh, something that we call Tactics Pie. If you remember Tactics 2, it was just huge uh, map boards, maybe five foot square with all kinds of terrain on it, and we'd have you know, just uh, just about every counter from every Avalon Hill war game would be, <laughs> you know, divided into sides, and we'd have these massive games with three, four people on the side. And, uh, yeah, I did a little bit of fooling around with game design on my own, sort of, uh, I remember one thing I came up with, it was sort of an extension of um, Blitzkrieg with uh, more attention played to the, the naval and the air stuff, but that never went anywhere. And I never thought of becoming a professional game designer, and I did, really haven't have not become one. Um, what were you studying at MIT? Uh, electrical engineering, uh, focusing on computer science. And uh, when I left MIT, that's exactly what I did. worked uh, as a software engineer for 35 years. And retired just about five years ago. Wow. So um, you were getting involved with uh, Squad Leader, and when you first played it, you thought, no way, it's too much. People can't handle it. Average humans, <laughs> the, the man on the street, <laughs> would crumble. That's right. And then when um, you know, the game got published, and I remember I went to Origins that year, and... Uh, I was at a, on a college campus, and I remember this, I was on the stairway leading down to the cafeteria, and there were dozens and dozens of tables, and on every table were two guys playing the first scenario of Squad Leader. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was an instant hit, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I just think of all those games, you know, from the 60s and 70s, and probably very few of them are still played very much, but uh, now Squad Leader becoming ASL is the big exception. Yeah. And you figure uh, Squad Leader system is about, what, uh, about 35 years old now. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing, and... Um it's fun to take out some of those old games, but I bet they don't get played. It's fun to take out Panzer Leader and, and look at the stuff, but having played some of the more modern games with the more more polished uh, system, and especially after playing Squad Leader, it's just, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I don't want to bother with the old games. I don't want to get rid of them because I, <laughs> uh, I have an affection for them, but at the same time, I don't want I wouldn't play them anymore. You know, I know exactly how you feel because I've got a closet full of old games and <laughs> I'm looking at it right now and I'm thinking about you know, the games that I've had a lot of fun playing I see 1776 up there D-Day and Waterloo and um, about four versions of Gettysburg and and so on 
and uh, well, Starship Troopers, and lots of games. But uh, I guess you could say that ASL has become my true love. Yeah, it is for me too. It's just uh, well that and some little role playing and then some miniature stuff, and that consumes a whole uh, whole lot of my time. And that's about all I can uh, have time for and to uh, get into my head when I'm gaming. So. Yeah, in fact, uh, for myself, I think I've played Dungeons & Dragons exactly three times. And, um, yeah, the first two times we had a pretty small group and a very good dungeon master. The third time we had, like, about 17 people going into the dungeon. And oh my, my goodness. character was killed in the first two minutes. And <laughs> <laughs> it was It was not that much fun. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. For myself, um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, sit down at a board with one other person and play a game. And uh, you know, one thing, one attraction of ASL that I'm not sure many people realize or think of it that way is that uh, compared to the more classic games, you know, like D-Day and so on. You know, one person spends oh maybe ten or fifteen minutes making a move, while the other person is not doing anything. And then you resolve the battles, and then the other guy spends about ten or fifteen minutes making a move. So you spend an awful lot of time playing, uh, just waiting and watching the other guy. Whereas ASL is just so interactive, and yeah. both players are always doing something. Um, but the only time you're not doing anything is waiting a minute or two for your opponent to decide if a shot is worth it. But uh, most of the time, you know, you're either rolling dice, you're trying to figure out uh, dice roll modifiers, uh, you're just altering decisions constantly, and uh, that's that's one big attraction of the game. Yeah, that is true. He's moving, and you're trying to figure out who's your best shot at defensive first fire and who you're going to save to defend another area. Right. So, so your mind's always involved the whole time. <clears throat> Which is why you could sit down at a game of ASL that, and I would a tournament like 9 in the morning and say, gee, something feels odd. I wonder if it's lunchtime yet and it's 3.30 in the afternoon <laughs> and you haven't moved. <laughs> yeah, the time does go very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still play pretty actively? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a fellow uh, who's had Tuesday night gaming at his house since uh, well, the 70s, really. Um, I'm not sure exactly when he started, but I started going there, I think, in 1978 or 79. <clears throat> and he used to get a bunch of people playing a variety of games, and now it's down pretty much, pretty much it's down to exactly two of us who play ASL who come there. Oh. You know, we used to have more, but um, you know, first the non-ASL gamers start stopped coming, and then you know we got whittled down to just two of us. But we we get together um, almost every Tuesday, and uh, you know we've been. I've been using that group for playtesting for, oh, I don't know, maybe 
most of the last 15 years. So. Yeah, and then um, now, so you knew Don Greenwood and them then. Right? Oh, yeah. And then right. when I've, when did you start publishing things? Because I know I've seen your name. And it, well, one thing is I've been had a lifelong mission to become a counter, and then when I finally became one, I, I my name was too long. By that time, they increased the the um, font size on the counters, and it wouldn't fit on one. And rumor has it that you have three counters named after you. Is that true? Yeah, the original squad leader, I was made a 9-2 uh, yes. from the play testing. Uh, uh, made me a 9-2 for, <clears throat> and then on... So did did uh, you, uh, when you saw that counter, did you frame it and hang it o- over your fireplace? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Something in a very... But, but, what, I, but, but what I did do, um, <laughs> when I switched over to squad leader, uh, sorry, ASL, I uh-huh. put that squad leader counter in my set. <laughs> yeah, I would do that too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I and still then, have it. It's the squad leader counter, but it's the only one. I think uh, I also have Richard Hamblin's 8-1 in, uh, in the set. Um, <clears throat> and when Advanced Squad Leader came out, well, this is kind of an interesting story. There was a playtester bash that they had. I don't know how many playtesters, probably about 20 of us, were at uh, Origins that year in Baltimore. And so they had a, a pizza bash for uh, the playtesters. And Beyond Valor had come out, but not the rule book yet. So so we all got our copy of Beyond Valor, and you know we looked at the brand-new innovative colored dice and saw all the counters and got to see who was what leader, and that's when I saw that I was a 10-3. Oh, the one no one ever really uses much. but Yeah, exactly. A 9-2 is like all over the place. <laughs> I've sort of kicked upstairs, you know, so <laughs> there's, I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing there's only maybe of all the seven, I guess there's 750 or so scenarios, you know, the official scenarios, Maybe half a dozen have the German 10-3 in it. Yeah, that's probably right. Well, just think how good you'll always look. Because okay, the common won't get worn yeah. off. Yeah. Okay, now, what, what people were doing was uh, just rolling the dice competitively. You have a colored die and, and a white die to just, you know, see how low they can roll. You know, because that's about all we could do with a game because we didn't have the rules. So, <laughs> so I, this is right after I saw it was a 10-3. So I picked up the dice. A couple guys were rolling, rolled it, rolled snake eyes, stopped and walked away. <laughs> Sweet. And another another story, um, at uh, DonCon, when it was at Hunt Valley, uh, uh, I used to go to that when there was an ASL tournament, and there was a small squad leader tournament in the same room, you know, this cavernous ballroom. And at one point, now I'm playing ASL, and a couple guys come up to me and essentially kidnap me over to the squad leader tournament because <laughs> there was, you know, they were playing a scenario, and it came down to the final dice roll. The nine-two lieutenant staller counter had to pass a morale check for his side to win. Wow. <laughs> And I rolled the dice, and sure enough, passed the morale check. Yes. 
and I think that's the only time I've ever passed a morale check with my own counter. (laughs) (laughs) It probably is like a curse, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, yeah, it just, you know... You know, a two plus one attack, oh, morale check, ah, roll a ten. It would always break. Yeah. It seemed like it did. And then there was there was one other counter, or was was that just... No, there, yeah, there was one more. Um, I did the, um, let's see, what the, the chapter K. The, um, uh, training... Yeah, train the training thing. Yeah, that's just an idea that I had, and I wrote it up and gave it to Don. And I, I think I used as the, the sergeant, Sergeant Rock or something like that. And uh, yeah, he, did you write that then? Yeah, I wrote that. Okay, that was where I first saw your name because I read that thoroughly. That helped me a lot. Ah, excellent. Anyway, um, I guess. My contribution to ASL is, besides, you know, a million hours playtesting, um, interested in making it more accessible to people, number one, and two, updating, you know, the old squad leader scenarios to the ASL right. format. <laughs> anyway, so as far as making it more accessible, I did the, uh, the squad leader training manual, and um, Don highly edited it and um, changed the sergeant to Sergeant Staller. So I'm a, not, yeah. I'm a, I'm a 10-3 in the German Army and at the same time an 8-1 in the American Army. Excellent. Cool. Although, what's well, kind of interesting that my father was in World War II and he was a sergeant. He never went overseas, but he was a sergeant in the U.S. Army, so it could be him. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, and then training manual. Yeah, I, I loved it a lot. Really, just the, like the way it was written and the way it walked me through stuff. And uh, yeah, again, very helpful. So that's why I've known your name so well. It wasn't just being on some counters; it was that training manual. Yeah, and, and then I'm sure uh, I saw it in other places too, right? Yeah. Well, I um, guess the first thing published in gaming was an, uh, a letter to the editor. I think it was where I took the idea from Duplicate Bridge. And applied it to to war gaming. Um, you know, in a war game, there's really three things that determine the result. One is the the game itself, you know, the balance of the game. Mm-hmm. Two is the dice rolls, and three is the players' decisions. Probably one of the biggest discussions is play balance of anything. And um, so I figured. Uh, to use the idea of a duplicate bridge, is you play two games against your opponent switching sides, and then whoever does better could be considered the winner of that that game. And that eliminates um, the uh, any imbalance in the game itself, because say you're the Germans in one playing, and you're the Russians in the next playing. You know, in that sense, it's fair. And right. there was. Um, I guess in the 90s, uh, I ran several team tournaments. And what I would do is just um, have teams of two players play each other in in, uh, scenarios that I had updated. And one player was the Germans, one was the Russians. And so you could win 
you know, both games or just win one and lose one. And uh, that actually worked out very well because that eliminates uh, the uh, play play balance issues. Right, uh, yeah. In the scenario. Yeah, it makes sense. So when was the last time you did any um, any anything in, or are you still doing design or writing or anything for... Uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm working on two projects right now. Um, one is uh, I'm updating the last batch of 15 scenarios. Uh, oh, there's you know, some... The original. You know, when Squad Leader first came out, I thought, oh, this is great. We'll have one consistent system and play our all our favorite scenarios with the ASL rules, and it'll be great. But yeah. the problem was, you know, you have to modify everything for ASL. And um, I came up with an idea of having, you know, breaking the 111 scenarios from Squad Leader through GI into six packets, about 20 each. And, uh, you know, releasing those as, as a product. And I mentioned that idea at uh, one of the conventions that had a uh, you know like a meeting. What's what's next in ASL? And there must have been maybe 150, 200 people. There were a lot of people there, and I presented that idea to Don Greenwood, and I got such an enthusiastic response to that. I've never gotten such a good response to anything I've done in my life. <laughs> Everybody thought that was a great idea, but two people, Don Greenwood and John Mishkon. And, of course, Don was the only one who counted, because he had received a lot of grief. Uh, Do either one of you guys go back as far as GI in the original system? No, I started right with uh, Beyond Valor, right when it came out, Mm -hmm. and uh, Jeff just uh, started lately. About six years ago. So what happened, you know, the original squad leader had uh, Germans, Russians, and Americans. And then when Beyond GI Anvil of Victory came out, they redid the uh, Americans and Germans, you know, a different format. And Don got a lot of grief from a lot of people saying, they're, we already have the counters, and you're forcing us to buy new counters. What is this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, people could be extremely stingy. And uh, anyway, he felt that if they sold the scenarios, the updated scenarios as a packet, people would say the same thing. Hey, we've already got these scenarios, and you're forcing us to buy new ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. No one's being forced, but he didn't want that criticism. So. What they decided to do was update them and then give them free in the general, you know, like yeah. one or two at a time. Right, so that is where I started seeing those, right? So Squad Leader came out when, uh, or ASL came out about 84, I think. And, you know, if they had done my idea of a packet, you know, one every, one or every couple of years, then it would have all been done in 12 years. And now it's getting on to 30 years, and I'm finally getting ready. Hopefully, uh, this will be done in time for um, Winter Offensive in January. 
<laughs> and, and now they, the, the, your redos use the same artwork, correct, from the originals? Um, well, they, they use the ASL counter artwork. And oh, I, then, mean the, I mean the photo, I'm sorry, with the, under the description of the encounter. Right, the photograph, it's, it's a, that, that more old-style um, um, yeah. design to it, which I really like. And I, I never, you know, again, played Squad Leader, but I bought it for boards one through four, of course, mm-hmm. for Beyond Valor. And, um, boy, yeah, I would look at those cards, and I think I had extra cards from other games than the one I bought, and I would be like, oh, this has, like, winter, and, oh, look, this one looks great. <laughs> you know, so I never even played them, but when I heard you were mm-hmm. redoing them, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, so I did. I did a batch um, a couple years ago of uh, twenty scenarios, and uh, I think I think it was quite well received. And uh, so I'm doing the last fifteen, and that'll mean all 111 have been redone. Although by now, those that were redone in in the general are long out of print. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hard hard to get at, but. Um, so that's that's one goal of mine, one dream that looks like it's you know, with any luck, you know, uh, could be done this year or at worst uh, uh, next year sometime. Yeah, and when you change them, do you find like the rate of fire in the machine guns changes the balance, or what kind of things do you find? Um, one thing I find a lot of the scenarios. I sort of doubt we're balanced in the first place. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what I, mean, I was so, wondering was, uh, you know, did you find that all 111 scenarios were worth redoing? My feeling is if it was worth doing it once, it's worth redoing it. And my feeling is that a lot of them had big flaws in it, and I've done my best to correct those flaws okay. mm-hmm. and make them, you know, worthwhile scenarios, you know, whether... <clears throat> Well, you know, let's, I'm, I'm not sure that most people would feel that every original ASL scenario is worthwhile. Uh, I mean, there are, sure, a lot of them. Um, but I feel that a lot of the early scenarios uh, are are very different, and a lot of them have sort of creativity to them that... Uh, you don't find so much in ASL. For example, uh, some scenarios will have one player picking one of several possible victory conditions, uh, or you know, reinforcements will arrive based on a die roll, and, and there's there's some interesting you know, situations in the original scenarios. Uh, if you had the previous batch, winner melee. That's where Germans are defending a town and partisans are in the woods and then cavalry comes charging across snowy fields and then paratroopers drop on top of everything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't you don't have too much of that in uh you know, the ASL scenarios. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I played the ones in the GI dozen, that was the first set, right? The which? GI dozen. Oh yeah, that was that was the first uh time they, they put a batch of scenarios together as a packet to sell. Okay. Um, now, a lot of other scenarios have been updated individually, 
and published in the annual and I think the journal and definitely yeah. in the general. General, yeah. You have all those old ones, yeah. Yeah. So, how do you go about updating them? Do you do you uh, take the scenario and just um, substitute in ASL rules and ASL counters and play it and see how it goes and then start making your adjustments from there? That's pretty much the, the first step. You know, use, use the same board configuration. Uh, there are a couple cases I've changed things. For example, I once used... Uh, I think it was Google or uh, in one of those programs where you have a satellite satellite can focus down, you know, uh, large parts of the world. Yeah, right. So, so one of the scenarios involved the Corinth Canal in Greece, and um, that they used Board Seven, which is a fairly wide river. And I took a look at the, the canal satellite, and uh, I realized that's way too wide for the actual canal. Yeah. And so I ended up using board. I think it's 41 with a two-hex wide river. Uh-huh. Uh, use that instead, which you know made it more authentic. Yeah. 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 When when I update a scenario, I want to be true to history. And also true to the original scenario. Yeah, excellent. As much as much as possible, and uh, and meanwhile, come up with a balanced um, scenario. There's a few scenarios played just a couple times, and and they're close games, and you feel it's done. And there are some scenarios where you play it over and over and over and over again, and it just feels like you know, one side wins. You make an adjustment, and all the other side wins too easily and you make a tiny adjustment and, and you're not sure if it's just the dice rolls or the decisions of the players or, or your modification to the scenario that's doing it. And um, I know when uh, like MMP has a, a module, they'll, they'll have a lot of play testers. And for us, it's basically Lee and I <laughs> right now. And also, we're down to the point where just the big scenarios are left. All the little ones and the medium-sized ones you know, we've, we've finished with. So yeah, that, uh, that does make it hard when you get together an evening a week, and in that time you might play oh, a turn and a half. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, the scenario, scenario we're working on now is a monster. It was the, from the original system. And it's got eight boards. Actually, I've narrowed it down to eight boards. It had ten originally. And um, wow, seventeen turns. And the British have about forty squads, and the Germans have about thirty. And it's it's very big. Yeah, sounds great. When you go yeah, to your friend's house, do you take your uh, do you take the rule book with you, or do you have it? Do you need to use it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, we use it. You do? Oh, okay. All the time. You know, it's it's just amazing. I've played ASL so much, and um, you know, you think you'd know the rules by now, but there's always some little situation that comes up, and you're not really sure, and you got to check check the rule book, and that happens several times, uh, just about every game. 
I think that's true of probably every ASL player. I mean, sometimes I think that it's, if you're not playing against your opponent, you're working with your opponent against the rule book. <laughs> <laughs> Good way of putting it. Yeah. In fact, once, uh, this is years ago, I was at um, Avalon Hill and I was talking to Bob McNamara back when he was in charge of ASL. And I, it was a Saturday, and they said, boy, right now, throughout the country, there are probably thousands of games of ASL being played. And he said, yes, and each one with slightly different rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. I, you know, I went to my first tournament and got corrected on some things that I uh, had not figured out on my own or my buddies had not figured out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, every time I re-re- reread the rule book, I swear there are rules there I have never seen before. Yeah. Even chapter A. Yeah. yeah, little Everywhere. little little details, and sometimes they just don't come up, and then you kind of forget them. Yeah. But. yeah. Anyway, that's one thing I'm doing is, you know, the updating the old scenarios. Another thing I've been working on uh, is a is a book. Actually, it's a series of books on ASL. Uh, do you know about that? No. No. Oh, okay. Um, uh, this is oh god. When I finished. I guess my only uh, real original design was Breakout Normandy. You familiar with that game? Oh uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that that came out in uh, 1995, 94, just in time for the 50th anniversary of D-Day. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And when I finished that, you know, a little thought occurred to me. You know how little thoughts can cause a great deal of trouble. Um, <laughs> the thought was, people have written books about bridge. And books about uh, chess and you know, a number of other games, but I can't. I've never seen an actual book written about any game in the hobby, you know, the wargaming hobby. And part of the reason is most games, you know, have a very short life. In other words, you know, they they come out, everybody buys them, plays them, and a year later, they're old hat. No one wants to play them again, um, more or less. But. ASL has been really persistent. So I just thought, well, what would a book about ASL be? And I started thinking about 12 chapters that you might have, and then I started thinking, well, maybe I'll try writing one and see what it's like. And right now I've written the majority of uh, an 85-chapter, six-volume work on ASL. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, it sort of explains and analyzes, uh, you know, the, the whole game, almost all the whole game, like, you know, campaign games from the historical um, modules and, and the solitaire. There's a few aspects I haven't gotten into, but, uh, and I'll just, you know, I'll, talk about a rule and then sort of explain the rule and give examples and then maybe some analysis of the probabilities and then uh, maybe some advice on how to use it, that kind of thing. And it's loaded with tables and illustrations and examples. And um, I've I've written, right now I'm working on chapter 46 of 85. (laughs) Uh, I'm very dependent on MMP. Um, uh, I'll get it printed, and MMP will sell it, and hopefully 
thousands of ASL players will have something wonderful to read when they don't have time to actually play as ASL. I am sure that's going to be the case. Well, that's quite an undertaking. I mean, when you're done, it will be about the size of Winston Churchill's The History of World War II. Oh, no, it won't be that small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to a printer. Actually, I talked to the printer about yeah, almost five years ago, so I don't even know if the printer's still there. But uh, he said that uh, it should be kept under 750 pages each volume because otherwise they have to go outside for binding, and it's, it's much more expensive. And uh, so I'm trying to keep volume one down to under 750. So multiply that times six. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I said. But, oh, my God, I can't. But, you know, you could do enormous things only a little bit at a time. Yeah, well, yeah, true. That's right. You know, you write a couple pages, next day you write a couple pages, you know, you take the whole thing, you break it down into pieces, break those down into pieces. Remember the outlining that they told you about when you were in high school English? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's exactly what I'm doing. <clears throat> you know. Well, um, you, don't, you don't have the luxury of excluding uh, pieces that you're not particularly interested in, which Churchill admittedly did in a lot of his works. He only wrote about what he was interested in, but you, you can't really do that. It all better be in there. Well, or somebody's like going to call you. <laughs> yeah, like I said, uh, like the solitaire ASL. In fact, in the preface, um, yeah, uh, in the preface, I do list uh, what's in the scope and out of the scope of the book. Okay. And uh, things that are out of the scope are things like campaign games, um, campaign scenarios, um, solitaire ASL, um, <clears throat> you know, like third-party scenarios. Yeah. You know, the official yeah, that makes sense. scenarios is only, what, 750 of them. Uh, uh, one thing I'm hoping on, of doing, when this playtesting is, is done... And if my my partner agrees, uh, what I've done is I've taken all the ASL scenarios and organized them by campaign and battle. And <clears throat> I'd like to just, you know, like life expectancy is an issue here. <laughs> but I'd I was like just to, thinking, my God, man, don't you sleep? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm retired. I've been sleeping more than more than ever. <laughs> So the um, thing is, you know, just start like Spanish Civil War and then the Chinese, Japanese, and then Manchuria, and then work up to Poland and all the Polish campaign, and then the Winter War, and just work all the way through World War II in ASL scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Which, which also echoes um, the last part of my my work. By the way, I'm calling it the ASL Companion. Um, the last part goes, uh, you know, theater by theater. You know, the Western Front, Pacific. You know, the four main theaters. Right. And puts all the ASL scenarios in context uh, with like a brief history of the World War II, and then listing the scenarios. And, and for each scenario, I have about a 
a paragraph about it describing roughly what's going on in the scenario. And I figured that that'd be useful. First of all, people might be interested in you know, like a scenario is a scenario, but it actually has a very definite historical context. And so you could put it in the context of World War Two. Number one. And number two, if you go looking through that and read the description, you can get an idea if the scenario is interesting to you or not. And then uh, you, know, you might uh, use that to, to guide your scenario selection, perhaps. Yeah, I do remember there was a chronology of war back in the, was it the <clears throat> general? They'd published that, and I liked looking at the, all the scenarios in order, you know. Yeah, and now the one thing I'm doing that's different than that, well, first of all, I'm describing the, the historical background, uh-huh. and also I'm organizing it, you know, by campaign. It's not strictly chronologically. Right. Yeah, because there you sort of, it's almost like shuffling two decks of cards together. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You end up jumping here and there, I guess, that way. Yeah, so yeah. By so campaign, it just makes more of a flow to it, yeah. That's exactly what I'm, what I'm trying to do. That sounds like a sensational project. Can't wait for that. I kind of wish you hadn't told us. Because <laughs> now it's just something else we have to wait for. Yeah. Each buy a copy and, and really like it. And now, I figure for? that if uh, the first one sells reasonably well, then... Uh, I'll plow the money into the second second one and keep on doing it while right, okay. people are behind. So you yeah, won't wait till right. all six volumes are done. You'll, you'll well, I might have all six volumes done before I get answers to the questions <laughs> of the first volume. But uh, you know, the the first volume I've gone about as far as I can go, um, and then I just now one thing about that. I'm really enjoying writing it, and you know, it's just a lot of fun, you know, sort of explaining what's going on, you know, rereading the rule, the rules, and um, yeah, you know, describing them. And I feel like I'm improving my own understanding of the game. Yes. And uh, also, you know, by by raising all the rules questions. Um, I feel, uh, I mean, some of the questions I've run into, you know, in my writing have found their way into official errata. Not too many, but some have. You know, once these questions are answered, that'll take care of a lot of the, you know, rules questions that come up in the, you know, like the infantry rules. So it's hopefully it'll help the hobby. And I know in, in the, the first volume, anyway, you know, I have some. Sort of chatting about ASL, and there's like the part of the introductory chapter might be something that you show your wife or girlfriend who wonders what the heck you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and that sort of describes the game, uh, what goes into it, you know, the components and all that. Um, and hopefully for beginners, it'll you know explain a lot of what how the game works. Because if you just read the rules, I mean, it's overwhelming. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You need someone to teach, I always thought, you know, or go through it yeah. with you. Yeah. Did you ever see the uh, article I wrote, Eight Steps to ASL? Oh, I did, yes. Yeah, that was, um, I think, I think it was originally published, but I know it was published and it was republished either 
from the general to an annual or, or vice versa. But it's published twice, and it was on the internet for a while. And um, I think that was a really, really good way to um, introduce people to ASL. Yeah, now now they have the ASL starter kit. I guess the concern I have about that is that um, a lot of people, well, the original intention was to get people playing a simplified version as a step step into the full ASL. Right. But I suspect that an awful lot of people just play the starter kit and don't want to go any farther. So it might have the effect of splitting the hobby. And I'm not sure if that's a really healthy thing to do or not. Yeah, I'm a little torn yet on it. So, you know, a lot of people don't. I don't think they plan to make the jump over to full. But Yeah, one thing one thing I suggested to Perry was an, uh, a little module that sort of takes my eight steps to ASL and adapts it to the scenarios uh, in Beyond Valor with the addition of um, several of the original scenarios updated. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think the Guard's Counterattack is the best. In fact, uh, the Guard's Counterattack, the original scenario mm-hmm. in Squad Leader, is the reason why Squad Leader and then ASL became so popular. Because it had things set up already for you? <clears throat> because, well, a lot of, a lot of games... What they would do was focus on like the full, called the tournament version of the game, the full version, and then uh, when they get close to publishing it, someone will say, "Well, you know, we need like an introduction, an introductory version too." So they'll slap out something that's introductory, and the introductory version is a piece of crap. Okay. And then people buy the game, start with the introductory version, say, "Gee, this is awful," and throw the game away. Yeah. Whereas with Squad Leader, they had a really, really good scenario. I mean, not only are things positioned, but it's it's an interesting little situation. It's it's pretty small, but it's interesting. There's a lot of possibilities. It's fun. It's great fun, and um, and that's that's how you start. And uh, I think it's so important to have a very good first impression. That's what that is. Yeah. I was suggesting to Perry that I could write something and sort of, sort of like divide ASL up into like eight or ten steps and, you know, list what rules are needed for which steps and related to the starter kit and then have them play guards counterattack maybe a couple times and then, uh, you know, divide the scenarios uh, into like eight or ten groups. Right, each getting a little more complex. Right, each adding you know some more elements and so on. Well, Perry wasn't too impressed with that. <laughs> well, and I, and I I thought they should have kept paratrooper and made that the um, the bridge work. You know, add something like you're describing into paratrooper, and then uh, keep that as the bridge between starter to full ASL. But. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about how I would do a starter. The problem with paratrooper is that. Um, there's uh, too much stuff. You know, they're supposed to be introductory, but you know, like you have foxholes from the beginning, and and there's no need for that. And there's just a lot more complicated stuff. Mm. 
right from the start. And I was thinking that the starter kit, what that should have done is have a map board with like woods and open ground, and that's it. Oh yeah, just two train types and do yeah. some two train of types things there. Yeah, and 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 then each board, for each half of a board, you know, would add another terrain type. You know, through maybe four boards to have everything that you're working with. Right. Uh, but no one asked me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not sure quite that, how they're doing it. Yeah, part of the problem with people getting involved with ASL is the is. The initial outlay, the investment of $80 or whatever it is for the rule book and $80 for Beyond Valor. So you got to spend $160 before you can sit down and play it and decide if it's something you want to pursue. And, you know, starter kits make it it so easy for somebody to think they're getting involved with it, but they're, you know, they're really not. It's, It's kind of a... It can be kind of a dead end. People can can buy it and go no further. Yeah. So I, yeah, I can see where where people would wonder yeah. if it really is uh, serving the purpose that it was originally intended. Yeah, and I think that the original idea of a starter kit was a good idea. Yeah. But when they're having the, the starter kit two and three, and then an expansion kit, um, that is creating a parallel game system. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And if they were going to use it just strictly as a bridge to get into squad leader or it's ASL, they probably should have stopped with one and, and made one uh, just as simple as possible and just graduated up until you'd be ready for the, like the infantry scenarios in ASL. But uh, anyway, they easy had different for, ideas. Yeah, easy, easy for us. Easy for us to easy say. Easy for us yeah. to say. Oh. Uh, by the way, I did find your tutorial there, your eight steps. Somebody put a link to it. There's um, on Board Game Geek, I found. Uh, Jay Richardson actually put a link to it, and it's on the Texas ASL site. And I just downloaded it, opened it, and I am going to be reading this this evening. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not the kind of article that you just read because it's really not narrative. Along, no, it's of, more play-along. It's, but. it's lists of... Basically, list of rules that you need for the first step, yeah. and then list of rules for the next step, scenario to play. And uh, <clears throat> but if you have a new person to get into ASL, yeah, actually, <laughs> you know, you know, when you talk about people buying ASL, the way I think most people would get into ASL is by knowing someone who's already in it. Yes. So it's they wouldn't have to buy true. anything. Right. Until they've played it several times and decide they like it. And there needs to be more of that, and we're always working on that. So. Yeah, yeah. How about you guys? Do you, uh, do you play ASL very much yourselves? Well, I have played 1,111 games right. in, since 85. Uh-huh. I look back, and in one year, 93 in my calendar, I had six games in a month. It was before I was uh, married and had children. Um, yeah. So I played a lot. <laughs> um, and that is yeah. a lot of games. I have no idea how many, how many games <laughs> I've played. I'm sure yours is more than that. But. Uh, I don't know. I, I've been playing steadily once a week, and uh, I go to Winter Offensive, and that's the only tournament I go to now. I used to go to, um, I guess, the, the Don Con 
tournaments. <clears throat> when they had ASL, I'd been to Oktoberfest once or twice. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, we know we need. Well, all we know is we need to play a lot more. So that's on our list of things to do. Mm-hmm. More ASL. <laughs> so. Yeah, there are there are a lot of. Uh, actually, one thing about being a playtester, I've played an awful lot of scenarios that that have not gotten published. Say say they have. 16 scenarios that they're working on for a module, and then they only put, say, 12 of them in the module, and one might get published in the uh, Uh, journal. Yeah, magazine. Yeah, the other three you just never see again. And how many of those I've played, I really don't know. Well, hopefully, do you you have any plans to get to uh, SLOC this year? um, That's... Oktoberfest, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, probably not. They're just, you know, I do an awful lot of things, you know, besides uh, ASL. Mm-hmm. I don't do much way of gaming. Well, and, and actually, I've, uh, when my oldest nephew was, he was in, still in high school, I think. Probably, maybe senior in high school. I gave him the starter kit, the first one, and we played the first scenario. And he said, Uncle Jim, that was the most complicated thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the starter kit scenario. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, once you get those phases down, though, you're good to go. Well, we should probably start to wrap it up. So, um, okay. Uh, we want to we wanna thank you so much for you very giving much us for the time. time. And yeah. we'll get this out on the air. Uh, hopefully it'll – well, we like to think it'll be there forever, but we'd <laughs> – we don't know how, what'll happen, but the show will be up for a long time, and so people will, I'm sure, enjoy listening to to your thoughts and uh, be excited about upcoming projects. Okay, excellent. If there's anything we can do to help you um, with your book, let, let us, us know. know. <clears throat> okay, there actually is something. Ed- editing, but not editing. <laughs> I, I'm not good. What's at that? that? But not <laughs> editing. I'm not good at that. <laughs> Honey, you read my mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darn. All right. Well, thanks very much, Jim. Right. We do appreciate it. And, uh, Take wish care. Wish you a lot of luck, and hopefully we can uh, meet you in the flesh in the near future. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that was nice, talking to Jim Stoller. Wow. What epic. A, what a guy. Yeah, epic. I mean, he is. Epic in history, epic yes. in projects, epic yep. in future contributions. Yeah. Just amazing. Very exciting to hear about the books that he's writing about ASL. I mean, that's just an incredible project. Mind-blowing. I probably will end up buying it. <laughs> oh, I definitely would. Yeah, that's something I would you know? really buy. So, uh, very interesting guy. Glad to hear from him. Well, and all these other little goodies, because that interview went so marvelously long, we have, we'll save... Um, we'll do them for next time. Yep. We'll save for next time. So the we book got a lot review, of good stuff. the yep. through roads through Rome. Yeah, the book review, a movie review, what's in the box. Box, box art, oh my. Yeah. And more interviews to come. Yeah, many more interviews to come. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We do appreciate it. And um, please remember to drive safely. Yes. And uh, kiss your wives and sweethearts. But not when you're kissing us. But not when you're playing us. So bye, everyone. Yeah, roll low.
six books, gigantic books, 750 pages each. Bigger than Churchill's yeah. history of World War II. Oh, wow. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, but wow. What a... I wonder if he's going to talk about us anywhere in there.